This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, leading up to Easter, we're going to be entering into a new sermon series, and we are calling it There's No Way. Say that with me. There's Say it louder, there's no way. And today, as we start, we're going to be looking at divine appointments. Turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be studying a passage of Scripture. And over the next few weeks, as we talk about there's no way, what we want to do is we want to show you and bring you and study with you biblical characters that God used. And when we look at their life and when we look at their story, we can say, there's no way. There's no way that God could do that today. There's no way that this would happen today in my life or or in our ministry. There's no way. And yet, we're here to tell you today, what God did then, he wants to do now. And we're going to help bridge you from the then to the now so that you can see how God wants to use you and I as the body of Christ. There's no Way. Acts chapter 8 is where we're at, and we're going to begin looking at the story of Philip. We're going to see how God began to move in the early church. Now, the book of Acts is an important book. The book of Acts shows us what God wanted to do through the early church. Luke is the author. Luke is writing it. This is his second book that he has written, and his purpose in writing the book of Acts is to show how the gospel spread from Jerusalem all the way to the city of Rome. And so he wanted to show the movement and the building of the early church and and how God built the early church and, and, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, how the gospel message began to spread. It started in Jerusalem. And in the first seven chapters of the book of Acts, it's showing what God was doing in Jerusalem. It started in Jerusalem. In fact, if I had to give you an outline from the book of Acts, it's Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will receive power. Say power. When the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witness, where? Jerusalem. That's where they were. And for the first seven chapters, Luke is showing that through the power of the Holy Spirit, how it was spreading in Jerusalem. Now we call that your Jerusalem harvest. Your Jerusalem harvest is where we allow God to use us where we are. So those that are in person, that's here in Broward County. That's here in South Florida. It's where you are. That's your Jerusalem harvest. You may be viewing and watching and a part of this from Virginia or from Washington or another nation. Your Jerusalem harvest is where you are. But then it spreads to Samaria, Judea, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That is the outline for the book of Acts. But the Jerusalem harvest is that where you are placed. I like to call it your sphere of influence. That, that sphere of influence that's around you. It could be those that are at work. It could be those that are a part of your family or those that live near you, your neighbors, co-workers. If you're a student, those that are in your classes, maybe where you go shopping or where you maybe often go to the restaurant, it's those that are in your sphere of influence. Now, we call here at Christian Life Center, we say that we call our message and our mission to be very, very important, and we call it, or we have a slogan that says, our mission is to be messengers of hope. Can you say messenger of hope with me? In fact, we've turned it into a closing prayer, and you can say the last part of that prayer, I'm sure that we would be the people and the church that take the message of hope everywhere we go to, everyone we meet, because that is our mission, that we are messengers of hope. Now, in the book of Acts that we're getting ready to look here, in chapter 8, 
chapter 8 is an important chapter because in chapter 8, the chapter starts talking about the, 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 the mandate to go and to tell the good news, the message of hope, everywhere to everyone. And that message, the message that we are sharing, the message of hope, we say it's a message of hope, but it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I hear an amen? And that is what God begins to show us in chapter 8. So I gave you a little background. Now let's go into our text, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. Acts chapter 8 and verse 1. And Saul, we know that Saul is Paul. Saul was, was there, and Saul was giving his approval to Stephen's death. And on that day, on that day that Stephen died, there was a great persecution that broke out against the church at Jerusalem. That's where they were in Jerusalem. And everyone except the apostles were scattered and they fled. And they fled throughout Judea and Samaria. And godly men buried Stephen, probably the apostles. They were the ones that stayed. And they mourned deeply for him. Can I pause for a moment here at, at, at verse 2 and, and, and talk for a moment about Stephen? First of all, Stephen's death was like a match that started this great fire of persecution. And that fire became so intense and so hot that it says that the believers were scattered and they began to spread. This persecution that came on the early church. And can I tell you, God will use persecution. Persecution can be trials. It can be the troubles that we go through. The, the times of testing or difficulties or circumstances in our life. That it comes upon us. And when it comes upon us, it's so hot and it's so intense. And sometimes it even comes across or it comes at us because we're followers and believers of Christ. What I've learned through the years is that God uses seasons of persecution or he uses circumstances or trials or troubles in our life to, to grow us, to develop us, to strengthen us. In fact, I find that God will use three things in particular to grow you spiritually. God will use his word, and isn't it wonderful when he uses the word, his word, to grow your faith and to strengthen you, and you walk away, and there's just an assurance in your heart that, that, that this is what God is like, this is who God is, this is what he's done before, and this is what he wants to do again, and it grows your faith. Isn't that beautiful when you dive into the word of God like that? God uses his word. But I've also realized God uses other people in your life to grow your faith. That they're walking with you and they're journeying with you. They're rubbing with you. And as they rub with you, it grows your faith. You can't grow to spiritual maturity in the way God wants you to be walking an isolated life in the Lord. You can't just go up on a mountain and, and, and get into a cave and be a monk and say that I'm more spiritually mature because I'm isolated. No, you might be more connected to God, but it doesn't make you more spiritually mature because spiritual maturity comes when your faith is being tested. And in the fire, in the testing, in those times that you rub with one another, your faith is growing stronger. Now, does anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a few people that got into your life, get around your life, that are in your life, and it's causing your faith to grow. Just say, uh-huh, you know what I'm talking about. They're causing your faith to grow, and God will use that to develop you. And by the way, your persecution, your trials, your temptations, these circumstances are different than temptation. The enemy will bring temptation to get you to sin and turn away from God. It's from the enemy. His goal is to kill, steal, and destroy. But if you can overcome that temptation, you get strength in your faith. But God will allow persecution in your life. And that's exactly what is happening here in Stephen, uh, in Stephen's death is that the believers are scattered. Can I tell you, there's a day, it's coming, 
And we're passionate to help you grow your faith, to walk deeper in your faith, to develop roots within your faith. Because a day is coming when persecution will come upon the American church. It is coming. Just as people see, and I know you don't have to say amen because we don't want it, but it is coming, and that's why it's important for you and I to understand how the early church and through the ages they dealt with persecution because when it comes, if your faith is not strong, there will be a great falling away, the Scripture says, and we are passionate to try to help you to develop your faith. It's coming. It's coming. And I want you to know that God will use these moments here. There's a persecution that breaks out. And in that moment, it may seem like God had abandoned the church. It may seem like God wasn't interested or wasn't involved. But I'm here to tell you today that God sees it. He knows it. He's a part of it. Just like an artist is painting a portrait That artist will use bright colors. He'll use dark colors. He'll use all kinds of colors to paint the mosaic picture that he's painting. And God is doing the same in your life and in my life. We may look and say, why is this happening? Why is this difficulty uh, uh, taking place? And all I can tell you is that God is in the midst of it. We may not understand it. We may only see a part of it. We may not understand. For us, it might just be letters. But to God, it's words and it's sentences. And we may not understand it, but God is doing something in and through it. And for Stephen, in Stephen's death, for the early church, there was a persecution that came. But can I tell you, there was something that was to follow because of what was taking place right there in Jerusalem. In verse 3, let's pick up. But Saul, Saul began to destroy the church. Remember, Saul is Paul. Saul has not had yet his experience on the Damascus road. He's going to leave here in Jerusalem, and he's on his way, and on his way, he's going to encounter God, and God is going to turn his life around. How many know what happens when God turns your life around? He comes in, everything changes, but we're not there yet in Saul's life, and he's destroying the church. He's going from house to house. He's dragging men and women, and he's putting them in prison. Why? Because of their faith. Because they're claiming that they're Christ followers and they're denying Judaism and they're turning to Christ and he's dragging them out and he's putting them in prison. They've just martyred Stephen. And it says those who had been scattered, they fled and they preached the word wherever they went. Will you underline that if you're taking notes and, and you've got your Bible? Underline wherever they went, they preached the word. Now, if I could pause for a moment before I continue in the scripture, can I tell you that that's just an encouragement that every believer is a witness for Christ. Wherever we go, we have a message of hope and we have a mandate as messengers of hope to take that message of hope everywhere to everyone. And therefore, that is our mission. You see, our mission, my mission, your mission, is that we are a witness for Jesus Christ. Back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You will be my witness in Jerusalem, then in Judea. Now we're going to see they're going to Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the world. Now, Philip, we're reading about right here, Philip is about to, to go. And he's about to take this message of hope and he's about to take it and he's about to go and he's about to preach it. But can I tell you, Philip was not a preacher. In fact, the word preach here is not what I'm doing right now. The word preach in the original is literally to share, to declare the gospel. It's not that someone goes, it wasn't that Philip was looking for a pulpit to preach from, but when they scattered and when they went, what did they do? Even though they were fleeing for their life because of their faith, they were declaring the message of hope and they were declaring that they had a God that they loved and they served and they could find forgiveness in him and him alone. And therefore they went, they went everywhere and they preached and here is Philip and he goes down to Samaria. Look at verse five. Philip goes down to the city of Samaria and he proclaimed Christ there. 
Now, again, he didn't go looking for a pulpit. He didn't go looking for where he could stand up and and preach as I'm doing right now. No, he went not looking for a pulpit, but he went looking for people, people that needed the message of hope. And he would preach that message to them and he would share it with them. And there was a revival that was about to break out. They looked for opportunities. That's why I titled this message today, Divine Appointments. Appointments that God will give to you. To you and I, we're, we're, we're in the intersection of our life. He will bring somebody into our life and he'll give us those opportunities where we can share the message of hope. You know what the problem is in most churches? Is that church faith has become a sporting event. It's been like, it's been like a, a, a stadium that's filled of spectators and there's a few that are down on the field and they're playing and the watchers are cheering as the players do well and they do good. But if something isn't good or if someone gets hurt, they're moaning or they're groaning and in sports that might be acceptable. But can I tell you that God doesn't want us watching. He wants us to stop watching and he wants us to get into the game because God's team needs help and there's not enough players that are out on the field and you and I have got to get into the game Jesus said it this way the harvest is what plentiful but the workers are few the game doesn't have enough players we don't have enough and yet there's so much to do that I want you to go well, let me pick back up in Philippians chapter uh, 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 about Philip. Sorry, in, in, in Acts chapter eight, verse five, Philip went down to where? To the city of Samaria. And he proclaimed, that's a better word. A few minutes ago, Luke used the word preached, but he proclaimed Christ there. Now, by the way, the Samaritans were already open to the gospel. In fact, next week I'll talk about the Samaritan woman and and her encounter with Jesus. And after she encounters him, she goes back to the city of Samaria and she shared with them what she had experienced with God. So their hearts were already open and tender and Philip shows up. Now remember, Philip is not an apostle. Philip is not a preacher. He's not one that, that, that would be declaring the, the, the message in the temple like I am doing now. He wasn't a one of the original uh, apostles. In fact, if you remember, Philip is chosen because they had a problem back in Acts chapter 6. The problem was that the apostles got busy preaching and, and teaching and, and ministering the word of God and, and, and they were declaring God's word and praying for people and ministering. And I can tell you, I do it. It's a demanding work. And, and when you get to doing that, sometimes you can't do some other things. It doesn't make one better or the other, but because of the responsibility that God placed on the apostles, they were preaching and they were teaching and they were leading multitudes to the Lord. And therefore, there were some within the church that were being neglected. And because they were being neglected, there rose up this murmuring and, and this, 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 this grumbling of our needs are being neglected. And so what the apostles did is they realized it was true. They realized that that was ministry that needed to take place. And so what they did is they chose from the leaders of that day, from those that were filled with the Holy Spirit, those that had a good reputation in the community, those that were a part of the community, they chose them to be what we call deacons. In fact, in a couple weeks, we will have our annual business meeting. And in our annual business business meeting, you will have an opportunity to choose your deacons. Those that have been faithful, they're leaders, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they're ministering unto the Lord. And that is how Philip rose up in Acts chapter 6 to be chosen as a deacon. By the way, a deacon does not govern, a deacon serves. The deacons weren't chose, chosen. This is where we've maybe switched it up in the smaller churches. Deacons get to be governing and not serving, and therefore they start controlling instead of facilitating what God wants to do in the church. And, 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 and therefore deacons are ones that are serving. They're faithfully serving in the body of Christ. And so this is Philip. But now the persecution hits, and so Philip goes. He scatters like everybody else. He's not an apostle. 
And so the believers scatter and Philip goes to Samaria. Well, as he went, as everybody went, as they began to go, and man, as a pastor, this moves me because I think what would happen if we had to scatter? Would everybody be going and preaching like we see in the book of Acts? And here, as they went, Philip finds himself in Samaria and he begins to declare, he begins to share, he begins to proclaim who Christ is in the message of hope. And as he begins to declare it, Souls begin to get saved. Revival takes off again. And a move of God begins to take place. And so much so that it got the attention of the apostles back in Jerusalem. And so the scripture says that they sent two of the apostles to go and to see what was happening in Samaria. Well, as they arrived in Samaria, they saw that that there was individuals coming to faith, there was miracles that were taking place, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit, which helps us to understand, it's another case in Scripture, that there is a work of the Spirit after salvation called the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and the apostles begin to pray over those that were saved, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God began to move among them and miracles were taking place and a great revival was happening right there and God began to show his word and the power of his word in a greater way. When we look at the scripture here, it says that Philip went down to Samaria and he was proclaiming Christ there and when the crowds heard Philip, what did they hear? Well, they heard a story. They heard him proclaiming. They heard him witnessing. They heard him sharing about who Christ was and what Christ could do. And when they heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs, they paid close attention to him. Man, the message of hope, the message of hope, the message of the gospel is a message. The core of the gospel, by the way, is that Jesus gives us fulfillment in our life. That Jesus, when he comes into our life, he will fulfill every need that we have, the voids that we seek for, to fill it with things of the world. Jesus will fill those voids in our life. The core of the gospel is that Jesus will fulfill us. Can I hear an amen? And not only will he fulfill us, but Jesus brings freedom in our life. Jesus will bring freedom to you and I, and we will be set free. But not only will we be set free, but that we can walk in forgiveness. That the sin that separated us from God, the sin that 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 destroys our life like a cancer in our life, that sin can be forgiven if we will repent of that sin and renounce it, which means I turn away from it and we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be saved. And in the name of Jesus, it was happening. Let me hear amen. So when the crowds, look here, verse six, heard Philip and they saw the miraculous signs, they paid close attention to what he said. And man, miracles, they begin to see miraculous signs taking place. They saw the demon possessed. They seen them, they saw them become uh, delivered with shrieks. Evil spirits came out of many and many paralytics and cripples were heard. So there was great joy in the city. Why is there joy in the house of God? It's because we're walking in freedom, because we're fulfilled as believers of Christ, because we know that we're forgiven. Why is there joy? It's because we know that we don't deserve it, but God has given it to us, and we turn our hearts to him. Last week at the end of the missions convention, Candy and I met with one of the missionaries later that night, and we went out. They just got back not long ago from Europe, They've been in Europe for eight years and, uh, without coming home, and, 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 and this is one of their first services. And she said, I sat there overwhelmed in the first service. She said, emotionally, it wasn't the flags. It wasn't, it wasn't all the songs. I was overwhelmed, and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it was. She says, when I went to the second service, I was, I was trying to figure out, was it going to be the same? Was it just because I was, for the first time, in, a, in an environment, in a church back in America? Was that what was creating this, this feeling in me? What was it? 
And she said, in the second service, I was curious if it was going to happen again. And she says, I had the same overwhelming feeling that came on me in the second service. And then she said, I began to look around and I began to realize what was creating this feelings of being overwhelmed in, in that moment. And she said, it was the joy that was in the room. It was the joy that was in the believers. It was the joy that I was experiencing right back in the church. She said it was that joy. She said, I, I don't know if it's like this in all the churches that we're going to go to, but there was a joy that was in the house, and it was that joy that was overwhelming to me because we've been out of America for so long, and to come back and see believers that had joy, she says it was incredible. God, I'm telling you, here it says there was great joy that was in that city. Why? It's because God had delivered them. God was setting them free. Miracles were taking place. People that were bound are being set free. Those that had been bound in sin are being forgiven. There was a joy that came over them because there was a release that took place as it was given to the Lord. One of the things I love about Encounter, and I hope if you haven't been on Encounter, you'll go on our next Encounter. It's coming in May. One of the things I love at the Encounter is that when you come in, it starts on a Thursday night. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen, but you know that the Lord has drawn you. You know that you're supposed to be there. You've made a commitment of time and, 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 and finances and, 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 and you've made a commitment to say, God, I, I want to pursue you and I'm seeking you and I want to be with you. And when you get into that environment, it starts on a Thursday and it continues on Friday. And by the time it gets to Saturday, in those three days, God begins to take our brokenness and he begins to heal it. He begins to take our sin and he begins to forgive it. He begins to take bondages that we've held on to and he begins to break it. The pains and the hurts that are in our lives that are holding us back, he begins to do a work, a gentle work in the spirit and the great work of the spirit over an encounter weekend is the work of releasing his joy to those that are there. That a joy unspeakable and full of glory begins to fill you. And your eyes get open and you get in to hear what you've not heard before. And you begin to see with a new set of eyes that maybe have been foggy or, or maybe out of focus. And now you begin to focus in on the heart of God and joy begins to overwhelm you. How many know what I'm talking about? Well, that was what was happening in this city. There was great joy because of what God was doing in the city. They listened to his message, the message of what he said. And by the way, I said it earlier, let me say it again. Our message is the good news of Jesus Christ. The message is the gospel. We call it the message of hope. We take the message of hope everywhere to everyone, everywhere to everyone. The message never changes. Methods will change. Today, we, we took you back in our songs. I've been in the church 35, 40 years. I've been full-time in ministry 35 years ago. Mama Louise, I sang those songs 35 years ago. 35 years ago. How many sung those songs 35 years ago? Yeah, about 20 of you. That's why we only sing it every now and then. There's only 20 of you. And the funny thing is you 20 always come and tell me, can we go back to those old songs? But then there's others that have come to the Lord through these last 20 years, 30 years, some of you in the last few months. But the most important thing is not the song, it's not the method, it's not what we used to do, but it's the message of Jesus Christ. And if our songs are glorifying Him and exalting Him, not edifying me, but exalting Him, then He's being glorified and I can praise Him for that. Now, I know that there can be an argument made that the hymns of old have so much doctrine and theology, and that is true. There can, there can be an argument that we should run the services a certain way, that we should have it a certain amount of time. I go to pastor's conferences, and they tell us that if we want to grow our church, we should only have 65-minute services. Well, I preach 65 minutes, so we have a problem. I'm joking. <laughs> But 65 minutes will grow your church. That's what they tell us. Kevin, they tell us two songs, 
right? Two fast songs, one slow song, and out you go, right? Pastor gets up, he preaches 29 minutes. We have a couple prayers, and then we go. That if we're going to grow our church, that's the way you do it. And, and that may work for many. But what I'm telling you is methods are not where Jesus brings transformation. It's through his message that transformation takes place. And can I tell you, some of my favorite services are nights ablaze. Those are some of my favorite services where the clock is just put to the side and you come for as long as you want to stay and you pursue him and seek him and desire that you're going to touch him. And when you do, there's transformational power that's released in your life. If we go an hour, if we go an hour and 30 minutes or an hour and 40 minutes, Maybe even two hours, whatever it may be. It's not in the method, but it's in the message and the power of Jesus Christ that sets us free. Now, I get it. Your preference might be 65 minutes, and you're hoping we're going to get to 65 minutes. (laughs) We try, but we can't. But that might be your preference, but it's a preference. It's a method. And what I'm saying is there's a message. And the message is the gospel. It's the message of hope. And wherever we go, we share that message to whomever we share it to. Last week, or I guess it was a few weeks ago now, Candy felt impressed on the nights ablaze to give out little flasks of oil. We prayed over those oil. And those that were here, we we gave it to you. We gave those that weren't here that night, the following Sunday, a chance to get it. We may have more. I don't know. You can check the Connection Center. But we gave the little flasks of oil. Why did we do it? It's because not only did they hear the message, but they saw signs and wonders. And when we take that oil, it's symbolic of the Holy Spirit. When we take that flask of oil, we begin to pray over our house, over our home, over our children, over our marriage. We begin to pray in our workplace, over our desk, over our office. We begin to pray with that oil. When somebody comes into our path, a divine appointment comes into our path, and they need a breakthrough, they need healing, they need a touch from God, we can reach down and grab that oil, and we carry the anointing, and we can begin to pray over them. Mama, I'm telling you, take that oil, pray over your children, pray over their room, pray, pray over them, pray, pray over them in the evening, pray over them that God will touch their life and break the sin that the enemy wants to bring before them, that God would do a work. There's power in the anointing, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and that's why we gave you the oil. We wanted you to be carriers of that anointing. We wanted you to carry it everywhere to everyone. So my final thoughts, and I'm going to invite the music team to come back. Pastor Kevin, they can come. I want to take these last few moments. I know there's a good part of the outline, but it's the practical part, and I can share it very quickly. The front part of the sermon has been, why is this important? The back side of this is, how do we do it? How do we share the message of hope? How do we walk through the doors of, of, of divine appointments? As we go, we're not being scattered because of persecution, but we will scatter and we will go all over South Florida. As we go, what should we do? Well, let me say, first of all, that as these divine appointments come and as we begin to share the message of hope, we have got to build relationships. We've got to develop relationships with those that are outside of the faith. Simply develop relationships. Say develop relationships. Now, I should have had my wife preach this point because she does this and she models this week after week after week after week. I mean, Candy lives this first point. She looks for people that are outside the faith and she develops relationship with them. Meaningful relationships. She'll take them out for coffee. They'll go hang out together. She repeatedly, week after week after week, she pushes out to develop relationships. I know that it's more than just being an introvert or an extrovert, but it's about the gospel. 
It's about a love for God, and it's about a a knowledge of knowing that God wants to change and transform their lives. And when we build relationship, what we begin to do is we're bridging into their life where we can begin to live a life that will be an example before them. I already shared with you, as you begin to build relationship, there will be a core of the gospel and of Christianity that will come out of your message, and that is that God offers fulfillment, and God brings freedom in your life, and God will offer forgiveness. So as you're building relationship, you're looking for ways to weave that into the conversation. That they can find meaning and purpose and fulfillment in life through Jesus Christ. That they can find for freedom for their situation through Jesus Christ. And that God offers forgiveness of their sin through Jesus Christ. And it's attractive to people. We share it. And as we share it, people come to a saving knowledge. So the action step that I want to leave you with is begin thinking about people that are in your life that you can build relationship with, that you can develop a relationship with. Now, I've got shoes up here. You've been looking at them, wondering how I'm going to use them. They're size eight. They fit you, Ricky? Too bad. I was going to give you them all. You're going to take them all. They represent different phases or spheres of influence of our life, different places that we will go in our life. For example, I have dress shoes on and and you may find yourself in a very professional environment and that's where you dress. Or maybe you find yourself going to the gym or or when you're going out casually with friends or or family or maybe it's a a date night or a a night where you're going out and and spending some time celebrating someone's birthday or or a special occasion. We put on different shoes in our life and what I want to encourage you is no matter what shoe you put on, regardless of the occasion that you're going to be putting it on every time you put a shoe on you remember that you're a messenger of hope and the scripture says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news it's our message of hope so start thinking about it start writing those names down so that you can be intentional and you can begin praying for them Pray for wisdom. Pray that God will open up doors. Pray for, for, for what's happening in their life. Pray that you'll be able to develop a stronger relationship. If we're not doing it, if we're not developing relationship with those that are outside the faith, let's just start praying that God would help us to build that kind of relationship. That we could get into a sphere of, of influence with others and we begin to build that relationship. That leads to the second part, and that is that we begin to look for ways to serve them. You see, in divine appointments, you need to serve those that God brings into your life. What do you mean by serve them? Well, you look for ways to show acts of kindness. You look for ways to show sensitivity. You begin to to look for ways that you can show love in a practical way. You see, your love is shown By the way, you care, and you care because you're aware. So as you develop relationship, you'll begin to hear what they're walking through, and as you begin to hear what they're walking through and things that are going on in their life, you will find ways that you can serve them. The problem for many of us is that we're so busy that it kills kindness in our lives. There's no time to show acts of kindness, and acts of kindness just becomes an event. We're going to have a food distribution. We're going to have an event where we go and we help in the community. We go and fix up this or we do that or we clean up the park. And it becomes an event instead of a lifestyle. And what God would want you and I to do is to be sensitive and slow down and see what those needs are and allow there to be divine appointments that we can begin to minister to them. And from there, guys, you can go ahead and begin playing for me there in the background. From there, what it does is it begins to give you an opportunity to share the gospel, to share the message of hope, to share God's love. Let me go back to Philip as I wrap up. Philip is in Samaria. Revival is breaking out. And as revival is breaking out, the apostles come and they begin to pray that they're filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And in the middle of the revival, God interrupts Philip. And love is often, love is often inconvenient. Often love gets interrupted from what we are wanting to do to what God wants us to do. Divine appointments don't come at times that are convenient. We're busy, we've got a program, we got things to do, we're in a rush, and we get interrupted. Philip, boy, this is a challenge for all of the pastors. Philip was in ministry. He was in revival. I felt like, and Candy probably felt it more than me, I felt like this was God in our situation. Honestly, when he brought us to Christian Life Center. Vienna was in revival. We went there. They were about 350 people. And when God began to tap on our heart to come, it was over 2,000 in the heart of Europe. And God was moving. And we were like, God, you're, you're moving. Why? And God began to lay a vision on our heart. For Philip... This is what happened to him. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Philip starts out and on his way, he meets an Ethiopian unit. Now the Ethiopian unit is an important official. He's of the royal guard for the queen. Official in charge of all of the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. I can't read that without <laughs> just thinking about that name, Candace. And she's the queen. <laughs> Every now and then, Candy, in a way, will remind me that Queen Candace from Ethiopia. Well, he was a part of her royal guard, her official service. He was over the treasury of the queen. And this man had gone to Jerusalem to do what? To worship. Now, what might have seemed like a happenstance was God's engineering and encounter. God will intentionally bring people into your path, divine appointments into your life, divine relationships, so that you can can show kindness and love, and they can find God. So here's this Ethiopian eunuch. He's trying to find God. He's gone to Jerusalem to worship. Ponder those words with me. He's gone to Jerusalem Now we're in Acts chapter 8 If we rewind all the way back to Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 What's happened? The Holy Spirit has come down We know by this time there are thousands Of spirit filled believers in Jerusalem So he goes to Jerusalem to worship And there's thousands of spirit filled believers And yet not one of them was able to lead the searching man to Jesus. He was looking for God. He had a heart that was crying out to God, but nobody was able to help him. Why? I can't help it, but I say, why? I mean, here we are, Pentecostal church. Thousands that are worshiping. Thousands that are praying for miracles. Thousands that are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. And here is one that's searching. Well, Acts chapter 6 says they they were worried about their widows that weren't being taken care of. Maybe, maybe they were focused on their own needs. Maybe they were just focused on themselves that they weren't paying attention to the needs of the lost that was around them. Maybe. Maybe they were so busy fellowshipping from house to house. Acts chapter 2 says that they were meeting house to house to house to house. Maybe they were so busy fellowshipping among themselves that they didn't even see the Ethiopian. Maybe. See, I don't know, but I know we're a spirit-filled church. 
I know that we believe in the power of the Holy Spirit and we walk empowered by the Spirit. But do we not see maybe what's all around us? Maybe. Maybe. Thirdly, maybe. It was because he wasn't Jewish. Maybe it was just because he was of a different ethnicity. Let's be honest. Sometimes we overlook those of different ethnicities. Maybe he, maybe the Jews just didn't see this African. Maybe they didn't care. Maybe they were just fellowshipping. Maybe they were worried about their own needs. Maybe they just wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk in the anointing. Whatever the reason is, they missed him right there in their midst. Boy, it's a reminder to us that we can be a Pentecostal, spirit-filled church, but we can't miss those that are around us. As we go, we can't miss those that are around us. God cared so much that in the middle of revival, he called Philip. He called Philip from Samaria to go and help this one, this individual. And as he went, verse 28 it says that Philip comes up on him and he's reading he's reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet and the spirit tells Philip go to that chariot and stay near to it so Philip runs up to the chariot and he hears the man reading the book of Isaiah and Philip says to him do you understand what you're reading and the, and the Ethiopian says how can I unless someone explains it to me how will they hear if we don't go how will they know if we don't share it's not enough just to come in here and worship him if we're not willing to go but I speak to my own heart and I believe God is speaking to all of our hearts as we say God help us to be a messenger of hope everywhere to everyone how can I unless somebody explains it to me? He invites Philip to come and to sit with him. You see, as you develop relationship, you'll get an opportunity to begin to share. And as you begin to share the gospel, as you begin to get into their life, sometimes the door into their life is through acts of kindness. Sometimes it's a need in their life. Whatever it is, you'll get an opportunity to share. It says Philip in verse 34 Philip begins right verse 35 where the Ethiopian was where he was reading in the book of Isaiah and he began to explain from that very passage the scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus Christ he started where he was and when you and I start where they're at we begin to share the gospel. We ask questions. We invite them into our world. And we go into their world. And we allow it to be natural. And we begin to share. No matter what shoe we have on. In whatever environment we may go. We say God use us as messengers of hope. And give us an opportunity to share. Now statistics tell us that most believers. A large majority of believers. It's something like 93, 92, 93% of believers never share their faith. They never share their faith. Some it's because of fear. Some it's because they don't know what to say. They don't know what to do. They don't know what to share. Some they're just, they don't, they're not concerned by it. And that is something that should rattle us. So what we're doing as a church is we want to equip you and we want to empower you to know how to share your faith. And so this week, on Friday night and Saturday, we're going to be having a special seminar. You'll see some information on the screen about it. And in this seminar, we're going to teach you how to share your faith. How to put on shoes and be a co-journer with others that are outside the faith how to ask questions, how to find opportunity, how to know what to say and when to say it in an environment where they will receive it. And as we put on these shoes, God will give us divine appointments and you'll be able to share your story. So I want to invite you to come on Friday night. Be a part of this Friday night. Friday night and Saturday, 
On the way out, for those that are in person, you'll get a card. And, and on that card will be a QR code and some information about the seminar on Friday and Saturday of this week. And all you got to do is go ahead and sign up and we'll be ready for you. And I want you to learn to share your story because when you begin to share your story, there'll come an opportunity and it's the last step where you'll be able to invite them to accept Jesus Christ into their heart, into their life. You'll be able to invite them to give their lives to Christ. And in that divine appointment, God would have used in our story, Philip will go on to share. They'll go a little bit further. They'll come upon some water. And Philip will baptize that Ethiopian eunuch, which is a sign to an unseen and to a seen world that we are Christ followers. And he baptizes him right there. I believe God will give you the same opportunity as we look for ways to walk through these divine appointment doors that God will give us. Father, as we come to the end of our service, I pray, God, that you will just powerfully stir our hearts and our spirits today. And Father, today is a moment. It's a moment of conviction. Not condemnation, but conviction. Condemnation makes us feel guilty, shamed, worthless and useless. Condemnation feels like a weight of heaviness is on us. But your spirit comes. And when your spirit convicts, it motivates us for action. It moves us to say, Father, help me to begin to be empowered by you to do what you've called me to do. To be a messenger of hope. With the message of hope, which is the gospel. Father, you'll give me divine appointments so that I can develop relationships. That you'll give me divine appointments where I can begin to serve them so that it opens the door to them so that I can share the gospel with them. And as I share that gospel, there'll be the moment and opportunity where I can invite them to accept you as their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you'll help us as a church to rise up in these end days, to be scattered everywhere to everyone with the message of hope. Father, I pray that this is not just another sermon, but it's a charge. And Father, it's that which will motivate us and push us and move us into the harvest. And as we go into the harvest, Father, we will see your grace released. In your name we pray. Amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.